Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing uh, in our study of this passage, and we're learning about ways that we can please God uh, from Paul's instruction and encouragement in this passage. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that our goal each day is to please God. Positive point number one, God has told us in his word how we can please him. We please God by our faith in God. The writer of Hebrews told us, and without faith it is impossible to please God because the one who believes in him uh, and who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Uh, we please God by our faith in God day by day. Now, as we've shared many times before, we exercise our faith in God by our obedience to God. We please God by our faith in God as we live out our faith in God by our obedience to God, by the power of God at work in and through our lives. His Holy Spirit living within us empowers us to live his way day by day. Positive point number two, God has given us examples in his word of men and women who pleased him for us to learn from and follow. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are three such examples. And we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul shared these very words instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy pleased God by their faith in God, and God used them in amazing ways in his work, in his world, specifically there in Thessalonica. Tim, Paul continued in his instruction to these believers along with Silas and Timothy. And he said in verses five and six, for we never used flattering speech as you know, or had greedy motives, God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people either from you or from others. Paul and Silas and Timothy were focused on pleasing God. They were focused on pleasing God. And we see Paul shared this connection, and then he shared ways in which they please God, ways in which we can please God, as he made this transition from verse 4 to verses 5 and 6 and following in chapter 2. Paul began verse 5 with the word 4, which connects verse 4 with the verses that follow. In the verses that follow, which we'll look at this morning, Paul shared ways in which we're able to please God. And so we know pleasing God is best for us and all those around us. Pleasing God is a blessing for us and all those around us. So Father God, we ask now that you would uh, take these moments, the truth of your word, and Father, would you minister to us by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. God, would you teach us? Would you correct us? Would you rebuke us? Would you train us in righteousness this morning? We're here because we long to hear what you have to say to us from your word. God, open our eyes to the wonderful truth in your word so that we may receive it, so that we may understand it, so that we may live it out and share it with those you place around us. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. We looked at and identified three ways we please God last Sunday in this passage in chapter 2. So I'm going to just real quickly share these three ways that we please God from last week so that we can move forward in seeing these new ways we please God in this passage this morning. If you were not here last week, then I would encourage you at some point in time this week to go online and listen to the sermon from last week because that sermon focused on these three points a whole lot more than we will take time to do this morning. So let's look at these ways that we please God. Paul shared this was true of his life, Silas's life, Timothy's life, and it is to be true of our lives as well. We please God as we speak God's truth in love. Paul said in verse 5, for we never use flattering speech. Paul, Silas, and Timothy spoke words that were sincere and genuine, not deceptive and full of trickery and flattery. Second way we please God is we please God as we live generously. Paul said that we never had greedy motives. He said we never had greedy motives among you. If you look in verse 7, Paul continued and said, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived generously. They were looking to give, not get, during their time with these believers in Thessalonica. We live generously today as we focus on giving, not getting, on being a blessing instead of being blessed. Number three, we please God as we live humbly. Paul said there in verse 6, and we didn't seek glory from people either from you or from others. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, again, as they made it clear, focused their lives on pleasing God, not people. And as we humble ourselves before God day by day, he gives us the desire and strength. He gives us the desire and strength to seek his praise rather than the praise of people. And so we see how important it is for us to live humbly. Now we see and move into number four, the fourth way we can please God. And we're going to spend time on these next three ways this morning. We please God as we love one another. Look in verse eight. Paul said, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were gentle with these believers and cared for these believers because they loved these believers. Paul said, for we cared so much for you. That means Paul, Silas, and Timothy had a fond, deep, compelling bond of affection and love for the believers in Thessalonica. Paul said at the end of that verse, for you have become dear to us which signifies through their time of ministry in Thessalonica, brief as it was, Paul, Silas, and Timothy developed a genuine love relationship with the believers in the church in Thessalonica. They genuinely loved them. We please God as we love one another. Jesus told us that answer to the Question, what is the greatest commandment in all the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. 
Jesus told us, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. I could go on and on. You could as well. Scripture is clear. We please God as we love one another. Now notice, just in those two passages I shared, as our love for God grows, so grows our love for one another. That's why Jesus said, love God first and then love one another. As our love for God grows, so grows our love for one another. Notice as well, in the other passage that Jesus shared from John chapter 13, we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, not by how much truth we know, but by how much love we show. We demonstrate for everyone that we are followers of Jesus Christ by how we love one another. Now, certainly knowing truth is important, but if we know it and we don't show it, it becomes less and less important. It turns to knowledge and pride, which puffs up. See, there's that application that we see all throughout the Word of God. We demonstrate to one another and to the lost world around us that we're followers of Jesus by how we love one another. It makes sense since Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God on the cross of Calvary for you and me. And so we follow Christ as we love one another. That means willingly giving ourselves away to one another. That means willingly sacrificing ourselves for one another. And I love what Jesus shared there. Notice he said that love is a choice. Notice that he said, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And so we see in this passage three aspects of love. Let me just show three aspects of love to us this morning. I believe God will speak to each of us in different ways as we look at these aspects of love. Number one, love acts. Love acts. Look at what he said. He said, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you. Paul was pleased to share with them. It was fun for Paul to share with these believers because of their love and care for these believers. What was Paul saying? He was saying this, love acts. Love acts through our words and through our actions. Now notice a couple of things that we see how Paul loved them in action. Paul, Silas, and Timothy loved them as they shared with them what they knew. That is the gospel said, they shared the gospel with you. We were pleased to share not only the gospel of God. So they showed their love for these believers as they shared what they knew. That being the gospel. In verse 9, we'll see that they said, we preach God's gospel to you. So that was a priority. But notice also the second thing. They loved them, these believers in Thessalonica, by sharing with them what they had, their own lives. Said, hey, we share with you what we knew because we love you. And we share with you... What we have because we loved you, our own lives. That's what he said here in verse 8. We care so much for you that we we're willing to please to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. So we love one another, and as we love one another, we please God. What we love one another as we share with one another what we know. That meaning the gospel message. We love one another as we share the truth of God's word with one another. You see, it's the truth of God's word that gives us hope and strength for each day. That gives us wisdom and understanding for each day. That gives us knowledge and encouragement for each day. One of the great ways we love one another 
and we please God and we demonstrate to everyone that we're followers of Jesus Christ is by the way in which we share with one another what we know, that being the truth of God's word. But we also please God as we love one another by sharing what we have with one another, that meaning our own lives, our time, our talents, and our treasures, our lives. You see, our love for God should motivate us to love one another. That's why Jesus said love God first and then one another second. Truth is, it should be pleasing to us and fun for us to love one another. It should be one of the great joys of our lives, day by day, to love one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And as we move forward towards Easter in this week, and as we look forward to the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are reminded in the most graphic, obvious way that love acts. Love acts. Love sacrifices. Love shares through our words and through our actions. Paul said here that he loved them. One, love acts. Number two, we see love perseveres. Love perseveres. Look in verse 9 as he continues. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working day and night so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. Paul said, for you remember our labor and hardship. Paul commended, remember, Paul commended these believers for their labor motivated by love in chapter 1. And Paul reminded these believers of their labor that was also motivated by love in chapter 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy persevered in their love for these believers. Remember, we've already discussed this. They persevered in uh, their love for these believers through outrageous treatment in Philippi. They persevered through opposition in Thessalonica. They persevered through accusations from false teachers. They persevered through hard work and labor so that they could pay for their stay in Thessalonica. These believers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they labored. They endured hardships. What does that mean? It means they worked hard day and night from sunrise to sunset. They persevered through hardships. They persevered through the hard work of preaching and teaching the gospel message. They didn't cut corners in ministry. They weren't looking for the easy way out in ministry. There was nothing that was going to keep them from preaching God's gospel to these believers in Thessalonica. They persevered by the power of God. They persevered because they wanted to please God. They persevered because they loved God and these believers. And if we're going to love one another like Jesus, if we're going to love one another the way Jesus wants us to love one another, that means we're going to have to persevere through challenges, difficulties, inconveniences, and obstacles on a daily basis so that we might be found faithful to love one another the way Jesus Christ has loved us. We persevere in loving one another as we rely and depend on God because it's not going to happen in our strength. Our natural love is going to tap out real quick. It's not going to last. We are able to persevere in loving one another as we 
rely and depend on God. We're able to persevere in our love for one another as we keep our eyes on Jesus. So right over Hebrews said, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, all the reminder we need in regards to loving one another is just to simply fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, persevered through the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God for you and for me. You see, as we see, Paul is just simply imitating Christ Jesus. Jesus demonstrated for us that love acts. Jesus demonstrated for us that love perseveres. Paul demonstrated for these believers that love acts. Paul demonstrated for these believers that love perseveres. And Paul was challenging these believers in Thessalonica to demonstrate love that acts and that perseveres among one another and all those God brings around them. And now the Holy Spirit of God is coming to us and he's saying to you and to me this morning, it's our turn. It's our turn. As followers of Jesus Christ, we please God as we love one another. What does that mean? It means we're going to have to act. It means we can't just go around telling everybody we love one another, not showing that love to one another. Well, since we're going to act, that means we're going to need to persevere. Because the opportunities for us to love one another often come at inconvenient times. I don't know if you've noticed that. We get our schedule, our calendar, our list of things to do, and then God says, not so much. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is who I want you to love. We also see in this passage that love lifts. Love lifts. Look at verse 9. He continues and he says, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. So that we would not burden any of you. Notice, love lifts burdens from one another. Love lifts burdens from one another. We know that Jesus lifted the burden of sin off of us by his grace. So he went to the cross in our place, paying the price for our sins so that we might be able to receive forgiveness of sins. And in our relationship with God through our faith and trust in him, love lifts burdens from one another. As we pray for one another, we demonstrate our love for one another. As we pray for one another, we lift burdens from one another. As we minister to one another, we demonstrate our love for one another. As we minister to one another, we lift burdens from one another. As we are present with one another, we demonstrate our love for one another. As we are present with one another, we are able to lift burdens from one another. Loving one another like Jesus means watching for opportunities with our brothers and sisters in Christ for us to see a time that the Holy Spirit of God allows us where we might be able to lift a burden from them, meet a need for them, or be a blessing to them. See, love acts and love perseveres but love also lifts. Love watches for those opportunities. Whether they're spoken to us or whether we're just able to see or whether the Holy Spirit of God just says, hey, I want you to do this. Where we have an opportunity to just to lift off a burden from brother, sister, in Christ and, and we're called to bear that burden for them with them in Christ Jesus. As we intercede on their behalf to the Father. You see, love lifts us up so that we can stand firm in our faith in Jesus. Love lifts us up so that we can keep our eyes on Jesus. Love lifts us up 
so that we can walk in our victory in Jesus. We please God as we love one another. Paul said it was pleasing to him, it was pleasing to Silas and Timothy to show them and to care for them and to share with them because of how much they love them. I hope and pray and I certainly believe that it's pleasing for us. It's fun for us to love one another. As Christ Jesus has loved us. We see a fifth way we please God in this passage and we please God as we live with integrity. We please God as we live with integrity. He continued uh, in verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. Paul, again here, he said, you are witnesses. He reminded these believers that they were witnesses. That means he reminded them they knew the truth about them because they lived with them. They saw, the believers in Thessalonica saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy live day by day with their very own eyes. They were witnesses of them. He also, once again, here for a second time, said, God is our witness. Paul reaffirmed that God knew them, saw them, and approved of them. God was pleased with Paul, Silas, and Timothy because he knew they lived with integrity. The Thessalonian believers here could trust Paul, Silas, and Timothy because they knew they were men of integrity. We please God as we live with integrity, as we are men and women of integrity, we're able to please God. Paul gives us an idea here, a picture, some encouraging words about what living with integrity looks like in our day-to-day -day lives. Living with integrity means living devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly. So let's look at these real quick. Living devoutly means holy living. It means holy living. That word devout in the original language means holy, holy living. We have been set apart by God in Christ Jesus to live our lives set apart from sin. We understand and realize that we are to live holy and pure lives. As Peter told us, since the one who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. We're to be holy in all we say and do and think. We're to live holy lives, pure lives, set apart from sin. We understand that we have been set apart by God in Christ Jesus to live holy lives for God, to live devoted to God, to live in a way that we're able to resist the temptations to give in to impurities, to give in to sexual immorality, to give in to impure motives, to give in to living pridefully and selfishly, the ways in which the false teachers were living in this day. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they lived devoutly. They lived holy lives. They were set apart from living like those false teachers and those in the world around them that didn't have a relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And the same is true for you and for me today. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And we understand and realize that we've been set apart in this world by God in Christ Jesus to live holy lives. So devoutly, living devoutly means holy living. Living righteously means obedient living. We please God as we walk uprightly in obedience to God and the truth of his word. As we do what God says Day by day, when God says to do it, in his strength, for his glory, we are able to please God. Listen, we need to be reminded, in our flesh, we'll give in to sin every time. 
And if you don't believe that, you're kidding yourself. In our flesh, we will give into sin and selfishness every time. Praise God, we don't walk in the flesh any longer. We walk in the Spirit. Because of God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, Holy Spirit lives within us. And Scripture, Paul says that we are to walk in the Spirit. We're to keep in step in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means, thankfully, the Holy Spirit living in us produces self-control for us, which allows us to say no to sin and yes to the Savior Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. One of the key fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of self-control. And so when we face temptation... As followers of Jesus Christ, we're no longer uh, the old creations before Christ came. We are no longer dead in our sins and transgressions. We are no longer physically alive, but spiritually dead. We are no longer uh, given to uh, temptation and just to give in because of our flesh every single time. No, we have been saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We live in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. Therefore, the Holy Spirit in us empowers us with the fruit of self-control to say no to sin. We have hope. We have strength. We have an opportunity to resist the temptation of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Not because we're, we're something, but because God is everything in and through us. And so we see that Paul is sharing with them, living with integrity. It means, and it involves some, some holy living. It involves obedient living. And then Paul says, we are also to live blamelessly. Living blamelessly means above reproach living. We please God as we live above reproach. What does that mean? It means we please God as we live our lives in such a way that we don't open ourselves up for others to find fault in us. What does that mean? It means we live what we learn from God's word. We practice what we preach. We walk the walk and we talk the talk. That's what living blamelessly means. It doesn't mean living perfectly. But it certainly means living blamelessly, living above reproach, living in such a way that we don't open ourselves up for others outside of the body of Christ to find fault in us. Why? Because when that happens, it, they are able to use it as an excuse against us to continue to live apart from Christ. Is it right? No. But does it happen? Yes. The reality is, and I know you understand this, the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, people are watching us all the time trying to find fault in us. <laughs> they are. They're watching us all the time with an eye to find fault in us. And so we need to understand and realize the way we live impacts whether our words are heard. The way we live impacts whether our words are ever heard. As we live with integrity, others are more likely to listen to us and to believe what we have to say. Living with integrity also means being very quick to take responsibility for those times when we stumble, trip, and fall in our walk with Christ. To take responsibility and ask first and foremost for God's forgiveness, but then to ask for the forgiveness of those we may have offended. 
And so we see the importance of living in, with integrity. Now, we live devoutly and righteously and blamelessly by the power of God at work in us as we rely on God. Once again, we see how important this reliance and dependence upon God, upon the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us day by day. It's a must for us as followers of Christ Jesus. So we please God as we love one another. We please God as we live with integrity. We please God, a sixth way that Paul shares with us here, uh, is a vitally important way that we live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. Paul says in verse 11, he continued in verse 11, he says, as you know, like a father with his own children. So real quick, before we get to the point six, real quick, Paul said, as you know, again, Paul reminding these believers of their personal knowledge of them, them being Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He said, as you know, he says, as a father, uh, as, a, as a father uh, with his own children. So we see two illustrations, two analogies in this passage already. Number one, Paul talks about a nursing mother who cares for her children. And now he talks about a father who encourages his own children. So we see the, four, the sixth way we please God is we please God as we practice encouragement. He continued in verse 12. He said, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged we comforted and we implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul didn't just talk about encouragement. Paul didn't just teach about encouragement. Paul practiced encouragement. Paul, Silas, and Timothy encouraged these believers. We please God as we practice encouragement. We please God as we encourage one another in Christ Jesus. If you look in that verse, you're gonna see encouraged, comforted, and implored are all three present participles. That means God wants us, that means Paul is challenging us to encourage one another every day, all through the day. Every day, all through the day. We see this throughout scripture. We're to encourage one another as long as it's called today so none of us will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As the writer of Hebrews shared in Hebrews chapter three, we understand how important this encouragement is that we practice encouragement. And what we see here in this passage is just a beautiful picture. Not only the practice of encouragement, but the power of encouragement. The power of encouragement. It's right here in this passage and Paul shares it with us and shares it for us so that we, be, we will make sure that we're able to understand it, to receive it so that we can then practice it here in these moments and all throughout today and this week. What we see here are three sides of encouragement. Three beautiful pictures of encouragement. Three aspects of encouragement, however you want to look at it. Three points about encouragement gives us the full scope here biblically of encouragement in this passage. And as is the case with God's word, as he 
preaches and teaches his word to us through the power of his Holy Spirit as we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for us and it's for those God places around us. So we need to receive this so that we can be blessed. We need to receive this so that we can be a blessing. Same is true in our own time with the Father during the week. We receive what he shares with us so that we can be blessed and so that we can be a blessing to one another. And so we're going to see where we fit in because each one of us fits in already because we're all called to love one another. We're called to, to act and we're called to persevere and we're called to lift one another through our love for one another. We're called to live with integrity and we're certainly called to practice encouragement. And we see these three aspects here in this passage. Number one, encouragement involves cheering. Encouragement involves cheering. Paul said, we encouraged each one of you. In the original language, the original Greek language, encouraged comes from the word parakaleo. And it means to come alongside someone to help them in their relationship with Jesus. It means it's the picture of someone who just comes alongside someone, wraps their arm around them, and just helps them to live out their life in Christ Jesus. Paul Silas and Timothy, Paul specifically, cheered on the believers in Thessalonica in their faith in Christ Jesus. He cheered them on. Like a father with his own children, Paul cheered them on in his time with them, in his prayers for them, and in his letter to them. You're going to see each point of encouragement coming through from Paul, like a father to his own children. What does this mean? It means we today please God as we cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. We please God as we cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. What is the difference between encouragement and flattering speech? We just talked about flattering speech a few verses before and encouragement now in this verse. It's real simple. The difference between flattering speech and encouragement is the motive. It's the motive. Flattering speech is insincere. Encouragement is sincere. Flattering speech wants to get from someone. Encouragement wants to give to someone. Cheering one another on in Christ Jesus means that we're going to need to take time to watch one another and listen to one another so that we can learn how and where we can best cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. That means we've got to get up in one another's grill. That means we've got to get up in one another's business. That's what this means. We can't appropriately cheer one another on in Christ Jesus if we don't know what's going on with one another. If we're not listening to one another, if we're not observing one another, if we're not doing life with one another. We can't know where to cheer them on in Christ Jesus. The best and most effective cheering on of one another in Christ Jesus is specific. Understand the best way to cheer one another on in Christ Jesus is to be specific. Paul demonstrated this for us in chapter 1, where Paul cheered on the believers in Thessalonica in regards to their labor prompted by love, their, their uh, work prompted by faith, and their endurance inspired by hope. Their work which produced faith, their labor which was motivated by love, and their endurance which was inspired by hope. So he focused in on their faith, hope, and endurance, their faith, hope, and love. He was specific. It's one thing to say, I think you're such a great guy or a great gal. It's another thing to tell someone why you think they're a great guy or a great gal. Be specific. The truth of the matter is, there are 
Far too many Christ followers today, I would say probably many here in this room right now, who are desperate for someone to come alongside them and cheer them on in Christ Jesus. Who haven't heard someone cheer for them in a long time. Desperate. someone to cheer them on in Christ Jesus. And this is what we are called to do. You see, cheering one another on in Christ Jesus is as fun to give as it is to receive. It's as fun to give it as it is to receive it. We can certainly cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. We cheer on professional athletes, stars, and celebrities who we don't even know and have never met. So we can certainly cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. We can certainly cheer on our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can certainly cheer on our husbands. We can certainly cheer on our wives. We can certainly cheer on our children. We can certainly cheer on our parents in Christ Jesus. So many times people will say, well, I'm just not very good at encouragement. Pastor, I'm just not very good at cheering one another on. So? So? Hey, listen, that's a lousy excuse. We're not good at a lot of things, but that doesn't stop us from doing them. For example, driving. There's many of us who aren't very good at driving at all, yet we keep on doing it every day, scaring the life out of people all around us. Doesn't stop us. This, I well, I'm just not very good. Yeah, it's just not my gift. Oh, come on. What, quite honestly, in the biblical language, a lousy excuse that is. The reality is many of us struggle with encouragement because we're operating out of such a deficit. Far too many of us are exhausted. Discouraged, hurt, confused, distracted, and beat down. That is a struggle just to get ourselves up. To move one foot in front of the other. Much less. To try to cheer somebody else on in Christ Jesus. This is why it is so important for us. No matter what state or season we find ourselves in this morning. This is why it is so important for us to run to the Father day by day. 
It's so important for us to spend time in God's word and to spend time in prayer with the Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit biblically is called our paraclete who paracaleso. We have our own personal encourager, our own personal encourager, our own personal cheerleader is the Holy Spirit of God. God placed him in our lives and he is the one who comes alongside of us day by day and encourages us and helps us to live out our faith in Christ Jesus every day. And when we get into those times where we're in such a deficit and we're hurt, we have to run to the Father. We have to spend time with him. We have to be honest with him. We have to cry out to him because as we do, his Holy Spirit, who is our encourager, will fill us up with all that we need, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, and enable and empower us to continue living out our faith in Christ Jesus in victory, which allows us to focus on being able to cheer one another on in Christ Jesus. And as God cheers us and as we cheer others, we see the circle completed as others cheer us as well. And so we understand how important this is. One of the key elements of encouragement is cheering one another on in Christ Jesus. And this should be a joy for us and fun for us every day all through the day. And we see a second side of encouragement, and that is encouragement involves comforting. He said here, Paul said, for we comforted each one of you. Comforted comes from the original Greek language, paramutheomai, and that means to comfort, to console, to calm. It means to sit near in times of trials, difficulties, and suffering. When times got tough, Paul didn't forget about these believers. Paul encouraged them. Paul comforted them. Paul consoled them. Paul calmed them. How? Paul calmed and consoled and comforted these believers in Thessalonica by reminding them that God was with them, that God loved them, that God was at work in them, through them, and around them, that God was watching over them, that God would embolden them to be able to do all that God was calling them to do as they simply relied on God. Paul comforted these believers by reminding them of their hope of heaven that was theirs by their faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ. We please God not only as we cheer one another on in Christ Jesus, but as we comfort one another in Christ Jesus. Because you see, there will be some of us who are in that season of life where we need the encouragement from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that encouragement isn't as much cheering them on as it is comforting them in Christ Jesus. Because encouragement involves comforting. Comforting one another means we must be willing to sit near one another, to listen to one another, to wait for one another, and to speak God's words of truth to one another. Gently, in love for one another. I like what one pastor said. He said, comforting one another is the soothing side of encouragement. I love that. We are able to soothe one another. The hurts, the pain, the struggles. So we comfort them. What does that look like? Sometimes that just looks like sitting with them. Not even saying a word to them. Just, just sitting. Sometimes it means hugging, praying, 
listening? Many times it means ministering the truth of God's word. Gently, lovingly, carefully. In a way that provides comfort for them. I love what Paul said. Let me just read this real quick. It's not on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're taking notes, jot this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What does this mean? It means this. God comforts us because we need to be comforted. But God also comforts us because we need to be comforters. Almighty God cheers us. He comforts us. Why? Because we need to be cheerleaders. And we need to be comforters for one another. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And then we see encouragement involves challenging. Paul said, for we implored each one of you. Implored, from the original Greek language means martyreo. That means to challenge, to charge, to urge, to bear witness to what someone has seen or heard. Paul challenged these believers in Thessalonica. Paul charged them to bear witness to the gospel. Paul challenged these believers to stand firm in their faith in Christ Jesus, to keep living for Jesus by the power of Jesus in them in spite of all the opposition that was coming against them. He was challenging them in Christ Jesus, imploring them to keep walking the walk and keep talking the talk. We please God as we challenge one another in Christ Jesus. You see, there are times in our lives where the trials and difficulties of life get the best of us. They just get the best of us, quite honestly. And those are the times when the scriptures teach us, all right, it's time. You're my encourager and I need you to go in and I need you to minister. This is your mission, minister encouragement. And it's not necessarily cheering and it's not necessarily comforting, it's challenging. Those are the times when we need a brother or sister in Christ Jesus to come alongside us and to challenge us to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep believing in Jesus, to keep walking in obedience to Jesus. Those are the times we need a brother or sister in Christ Jesus to come alongside us and to challenge us to remember the battle is the Lord's, not ours. But to remember greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. To remember if God is for us, who can be against us? To remember God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, we can boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses because Christ's power rests on us in those times of weaknesses to remember that this world is not our home. We're passing through. We eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue to live for him day by day. You see, we're going to love one another. We're going to live with encouragement, and we are going to encourage one another. We're going to cheer one another. We are going to comfort one another, and we are going to challenge one another because that's what we do. That's who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. 
That's what we do. Like a nursing mother caring for her own children, like a father who encourages his children. We're going to cheer, and we're going to comfort, and we're going to challenge one another in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, Silas, and Timothy's love for these believers, their integrity with these believers, and their encouragement to these believers was designed, notice, look at the end of verse 12, was designed to help them live worthy of God's calling on them to salvation in Christ Jesus. God has called each one of us into his own kingdom and glory by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. This means it's our joy, it's our honor, it's our privilege, it's our responsibility to please God as we live worthy of God's calling on us in Christ Jesus by the power of God at work in our lives. First and foremost, don't miss this. We please God as we receive God's gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That's the entrance into living a life pleasing to God the Father is to receive God the Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord. Secondly, we please God as we live out our faith in God by our obedience to God as we love one another, as we live with integrity with one another, and as we cheer and comfort and challenge one another in Christ Jesus. What a life. It's the abundant life. It's the blessed life. It's our life in Christ Jesus for as long as God has us here and as long as he leaves us here because then we get to experience the perfect eternal life with our Father in heaven. How can we not be pleased to love and to live and to encourage one another in Christ Jesus. Let's please God as we respond to God in obedience to him this morning in these moments. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is gonna come and lead us in this time of invitation.